from the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com, or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN to five five zero zero zero. Wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, the man that put the I in itinerant preaching, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I am doing great, Jack, on this feast day of the Chair of St. Peter, uh, broadcasting live this hour from Holy Spirit Parish in Mims, Florida. So we give a shout-out to Father Andrew Votan, the pastor from Poland, and also to all of his wonderful parishioners who have been coming to the parish mission and all those who came this weekend at the Masses that I met over the course of the Sunday Mass weekend schedule, and uh, it's just been a great week here so far, and... Uh, a shout-out to my good friend Nadine and my cousin Heather, who have helped me remind myself, and I've reminded them, that in addition to the Chair of St. Peter, it's also National Margarita Day. Why is that important? I will tell you why that's important, because we Catholics celebrate, okay? We celebrate all things in moderation. So I think it's appropriate that we celebrate this feast day where it's also the secular National Margarita Day. And uh, we, we rejoice in this absolute wonderful ecclesiastical feast, which is my springboard today, this feast day of the Chair of St. Peter. The Feast of the Chair of St. Peter commemorates the teaching authority of the Vicar of Christ on earth. This teaching authority comes from the teaching office of the church, the magisterium, from the Latin word magister, which means teacher, huh? Uh, The magisterium itself is rooted or grounded, we would say, in the apostolic college of the original Twelve Apostles, who are the foundation stones of the church, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone himself. The Universal Catechism teaches, Jack, quote, the mission of the magisterium. The teaching office of the church is linked to the definitive nature of the covenant established by God with his people in Christ. It is this magisterium's task to preserve God's people from deviations and defections and to guarantee them the objective possibility of professing the one true faith without error. 
so that the people of God abides in the truth that liberates. That's number 890 from the Catechism. Tertullian, early church father, says, quote, How blessed is the Church of Rome, on which the apostles poured forth all their doctrine along with their blood. Uh, making reference there to the martyrdom of the apostles. And Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI says very eloquently, the chair of St. Peter represents the Pope's mission as guide of the entire people of God. Celebrating the chair of Peter means attributing a strong spiritual significance to it and recognizing it as a privileged sign of the love of God. And St. Augustine, bishop and doctor of the church, says the chair of St. Peter confirms that universal church, capital C, which in this world is shaken by various temptations that come upon it like torrents of rains, floods, and tempests. Yet she does not fail because it is founded upon a rock from which Peter received his name. For the rock was Christ, quoting 1 Corinthians 10.4, and on this foundation was Peter himself, also built to lead the church, his authority. And of course, Pope Francis is the 266th Pope uh, inclusive uh, since the time of the founding of the church, with St. Peter as the first Pope. Pope St. Leo the Great says this, Jack, another wonderful quote from a, a, a church father. Out of the whole world, one man, Peter, is chosen to preside at the calling of all nations and to be set over all the apostles and all the fathers of the church. Though there are in God's people many bishops and many shepherds, Peter is thus appointed to rule in his own person those whom Christ also rules as the original ruler. And that, of course, Christ is, is just that, the original ruler. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall never prevail against it. On this strong foundation, he says, I will build an everlasting temple, the great height of my church, which is to penetrate the heavens. She shall rise on the firm foundation of this faith. And the gates of hell shall not silence this confession of faith. The chains of death shall not bind it. Its words are the words of life as they lift up to heaven those who profess them, so they send down to hell those who contradict them. Blessed Peter is therefore told, to you I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is also bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall also be loosed in heaven. That's quoting Matthew 16, 18, and 19. The authority vested in this power passed also to the other apostles, no doubt, and the institution established by this decree has been continued in all the leaders of the church to the modern time in which we live now. But it is not without good reason, Pope Leo the Great says, that what was bestowed on all, meaning all the bishops, is entrusted to one, Peter. It is not without good reason that what was bestowed on all is entrusted to one. For Peter received it, the authority, separately in trust, directly from Christ, because he is the prototype, the first type, set before all the rulers of the church. So we have a, just a beautiful feast day that honors in a special way the magisterium of Holy Mother Church, her teaching authority, rooted or grounded in the apostolic college of the original twelve, and of course, St. Matthias replaced Judas. Um, and we rejoice in this feast day that in a, in a special way looks at the authority of the Holy Father, the office of Peter, uh, that of his successors to guide us uh, till the end of time. 
uh, into the new and heavenly Jerusalem. And I want to requote here number 890 with these few moments that we have left, because it's just a, 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 such an important passage on the purpose of the magisterium, the teaching office of the church and its mission. Uh, it is the magisterium's task to preserve God's people from deviations and defections from the truth, and to guarantee them the objective possibility of professing the one true faith without error, so that the people of God abides in the truth that liberates. And that's how we are to look at the importance of the teaching office of the church. And it's just a, a beautiful, wonderful feast. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 830-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Dennis in the great state of New York. Gray, uh, Ray, rather, in Maryland, Russ in Delaware, and we have plenty of time for your phone calls and a couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. If you're outside the United States and Canada, never fear. We have a number for you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'll put you straight to the front of the line at one 1- Two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and uh, you can always send us an email. We will uh, use it perhaps in one of our email uh, mailbag programs. Uh, that uh, address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline at ewtn.com. And put uh, Tuesday or Father Wade in the subject line with any of your questions about faith, family, and fellowship for Open Line Tuesday. And you can also text your question. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for our response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. We're talking faith, family, and fellowship here on Open Line Tuesday. And um, celebrate today. We celebrate the Feast of the Solemnities in a special way, especially the Solemnities. But today's a feast day, so let's celebrate this, uh, especially before we head into Lent. <laughs> and it's it's National Margarita Day, as you were quick to and point out. And it's National Margarita Day. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 288 3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, Call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hot off the presses for the month of February from EWTN Publishing, Spiritual Excellence, The Path to Happiness, Holiness, and Heaven, 
by Deacon Richard Eason. Uh, Deacon's prepared a practical and motivational book to help you pursue spiritual excellence and discover the abundant life our Lord is calling you to experience. This book will empower you to fly with the angels and soar with the saints so you can live a happier and holier life. Some of the topics covered are how to remain steadfast in suffering, conflict, and adversity, the keys to opening yourself to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and much more. Spiritual Excellence, the Path to Happiness, Holiness, and Heaven by Deacon Richard Eason, available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Dennis in the great state of New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Dennis, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Father Wade, thank you for taking my call. Two quick points. Uh, This is where you were talking about the chair of Rome and the magisterium. We need Pope Francis to make an emergency trip to Russia, to sit down with Putin, to explain everything you just spoke about for the last five to ten minutes, about the truth. If the alternative, he won't see the Pope, the Pope needs to go to the Ukraine to be with the people. Could you imagine if he prevented war? What a boost in the arm that would be for the Catholic Church. How many people would come in as the true religion? But uh, the second thing is, we also have to discuss, I'm shocked. I go out golfing or at the gym with other Catholic men, and the amount of Catholic men that don't realize they have vasectomies, that they have committed a mortal sin. They said they had nowhere where they ever told the vasectomies are a cause for a mortal sin for someone. So is there any way we could talk that up in the Church, Father Wade? And thank you for all you do. Well, you're very welcome, and I I appreciate your comments and your questions. You know, it gets down to good catechesis and good preaching in the parishes to share the truth as taught by Holy Mother Church. And you're you're bringing up specifically uh, in regards to vasectomies with males, you know, that's a form of permanent sterilization. And the Church is very clear in her teaching on that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so uh, the good news is that I find in my preaching that a lot of the priests today, uh, are, especially the, the, the younger generation of priests, um, are, are not afraid to share the more hard-hitting truths with the faithful, and, and a lot of those truths deal with the sexual mores of the individual human person, and how we're called, I've said this many times on Open Line, to pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions. Well, those concrete daily actions uh, involve every aspect of our life, Right. Um, and, and so uh, any act, any action the Church teaches, which either in anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment or in the development of its natural consequences, proposes whether as an end or as a means to render procreation impossible, uh, is not morally licit. And we see this with the permanent sterilization of the male via vasectomy and with uh, a female through the tubal ligation. So... Um, you know, the good news is, is that the Church does not teach that it has to be reversed if one has had one, but one uh, is to confess it and confess it simply. And, um, you know, those who do, they see the beauty in the Church's teaching on the conjugal act and to be open to life and how it feeds the marriage covenant 
and so forth. Um, and so this is important. But to answer your question directly, I think it gets down to good catechesis, great preaching from the priests and the parishes, both by the pastor and his associates, and also good, solid lay people striving for holiness teaching the RCIA program classes, uh, teaching catechesis to the young adults, uh, even to the high schoolers. Uh, for example, I know a, a young couple uh, who teach uh, John Paul's Theology of the Body to the high school CCD courses uh, at their local parish, and that's just a great thing. They're getting the great and beautiful news out of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, especially in a day and age of so much confusion. And the young people soak it up because it makes sense. It's reasonable. The faith is reasonable. So uh, thank you, Dennis, for your call from New York, and I hope that helps you out. And, and don't be afraid yourself to get involved. You sound like a man of, of passion for the truth and for your love of your Catholic faith. Uh, maybe God is calling you uh, to, to start a men's group. Maybe God is calling you uh, and your wife, if, if, you, if you're married, if you have a wife, to maybe teach a course. Um, there's a lot of opportunities there at the parish level, and let us not forget that, that it is incumbent upon every baptized Christian to do what he or she can in their own sphere of influence, according to their vocation and state in life, whether single or married, I'm talking about laity now, uh, to promote the truths of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. It's incumbent upon them through baptism and confirmation sustained by regular Eucharist and penance. So let us not forget that beautiful truth from the Second Vatican Council. So thank you, Dennis, so much for a, a great a series of questions uh, regarding uh, permanent sterilization. God bless you. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Uh, next stop is Huntington, Maryland, where Ray is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Ray, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you. Hi, Father. How are you today? I'm doing great, Ray. Thank you for your call from Maryland today. Well, uh, my question has to do, 21 years ago, I, uh, I came into the Catholic faith, and on the same day, I was confirmed, took First Communion, and got married. So I experienced wow. three sacraments in the same day, and it was, it was really, truly a blessed day. Awesome. Um, but over time, I learned, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff, <laughs> and actually uh, become a lot more involved in my faith. And one of the things that yeah. just recently came to my attention is that we were given in a chalice that the precious blood was used for in at our at our wedding ceremony and that I took first communion with. And we had a military priest who was visiting our parish who had worked with us because we came over from overseas. And um, maybe he didn't know the rules or he thought he was doing a good thing, but I've since learned that that probably chalice should probably be disposed of properly. Uh, it's in our china cabinet. We've never used it or anything, but... Uh, it's crystal, it's nice, but I realize that, that you, normally it should be with metal and, you know, have a some permanence to it. So I was just wondering how to properly dispose or take care of that chalice uh, okay. since it had the holy, holy blood of Christ in it. Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, no doubt it's been purified since your wedding. I'm glad you made it clear that it is crystal, because that is not proper material for use in, within the sacred liturgy. Um, it needs. To, it does have to need. It does need to be of precious metal, at least a precious metal interior lining of the cup of the chalice, uh, because that is not porous. Where the crystal is porous, and so that's the reasoning behind that. Okay, so um, you're you're reluctant to use it now for profane use, and by that word profane, it sounds worse than it is in this context. Profane use, I mean just everyday use. Uh, but it should have never been used for a, a, a chalice in the first place. And, and I, I kind of wonder 
if it was ever really consecrated per se, like a chalice should be officially consecrated for sacred liturgical use before it's actually used, but this one is not even of proper material. On top of that, the priest, like you said, probably not through malice, gave it to you as a gift because you used it that day for the various sacraments you received that day, including your wedding. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to believe that he even gave it a special official consecration. So as long as it's purified, which I have no doubt it is, and if you want to make sure that it's purified, what you want to do is, two times according to the general instruction of the Roman Missal, you want to use a non-abrasive soap and warm water, and in this case, you can just pour the water in your, at your home right into the ground, maybe at a rose bush or an evergreen or whatever you want to do. Pour it in a shrub bed or in a garden bed and do it twice. You can do it a third time if you want. Uh, swirl the soapy water around and, and dump it in the, in the garden. Um, and then you could use it for profane use. And again, by profane use, I mean everyday usage. Because I doubt it was ever officially consecrated to begin with. And even if it was... Um, it's not a proper material, and it cannot be used anymore for that. Uh, at least it shouldn't be, meaning, meaning the sacred liturgy. When I say for that, it can't be used for that, I mean the sacred liturgy. Again, who knows how well this priest was instructed during his own years of formation. Uh, there was a lot of things crazy that went on in the sacred liturgy throughout the 70s, 80s, and even up to the early to mid-90s. Thank goodness Pope St. John Paul II turned a lot of that liturgical abuse around. So who knows? Um, uh, do you, a simple yes or no question, uh, uh, Dennis, do you, do you have absolute certain that he consecrated it for liturgical use? I don't know. Yeah, We've never used it ever again. I mean, it's never been used. I know it was yeah. purified, uh, yeah. but, I, but we've certainly I, no, we don't use it for daily use. I don't want to use it for daily use. You know. Yeah, then I would just use it as, I would just keep it as a keepsake, that, that it was used on your day that you received so many sacraments, even though it was in, inappropriate to use it, uh, it is a keepsake. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, when, when, when sacred things that are actually blessed or consecrated, like, like, an, like an old scapular worn for several years and the natural body sweat and body oils, you want to dispose of it to put on a new brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, you can either wrap it simply and place it in, in, uh, in the garbage. And so why do you wrap it in that case? So if somebody comes across it, they see, oh, somebody at least took the, 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 somebody at least took the time to wrap it up and just place it in the garbage, or you can burn it, or you can bury it. You can do either of those three things on an actually blessed thing. So, you know, if you don't want to keep it merely as a keepsake, like you've been keeping it in your china cabinet, you said, you know, you're, you're welcome to uh, uh, bury it. And if you do that, you probably want to properly... Uh, break it up in pieces first. Again, you're not doing this in malice. You're doing it to properly dispose of it. Uh, I don't think I would, I would place it in the garbage, because it was used at least one time uh, in the sacred liturgy, whether it was officially consecrated or not. And I don't think it was officially consecrated. Uh, that's my own opinion. Uh, so you could, you could put it in several different pieces and then bury it. Um, I wouldn't place it in the garbage, and it won't burn, I don't think given the material that it is. So your, your, your only choice, if you literally don't want to keep it per se as a physicality in your home, uh, you probably want to bury it and break it down first in its size. So it can't... And the other reason why you'd be breaking it down, Dennis, is that if somebody did find it and, and through some type of excavation and they came across it, you don't know what they're going to use it for, right? So as long as you break it down into several pieces, 
it's not going to be used again for anything profane since you don't want to use it for anything profane, and that's your prerogative, that's your option. But uh, it should have never been used for the sacred liturgy to begin with. So gr- great series of questions, uh, Dennis, and, and thank you so much for your love of your faith, and thank you so much for your concern about this very topic and what to do with it. So if you want to dispose of it, if you and your bride want to dispose of it, I would break it down and then bury it. Otherwise, just keep it as a keepsake. Uh, I don't think there would be a problem with you using it for profane use, everyday use, a glass of wine on your anniversary day, a glass of wine on your on your baptismal anniversary or your confirmation anniversary. I don't think there'd be a problem with that, because like I said, it probably was never used, uh, uh, never probably never consecrated anyway. So those are your choices, my friend. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Great book available for you at EWTN's religious catalog, The Decline and Fall of Sacred Scripture, How the Bible Became a Secular Book, written by Dr. Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker. The authors trace the various quote-unquote malformations of Scripture scholarship that have led to a devastating loss of trust in the inspired Word of God, from the Reformation to the Enlightenment and beyond. They examine the revolutions and radical figures that led to the emergence of the historical method and the pervasive ills that affect, uh, that uh, ill effects, rather, that are still being felt today. That is The Decline and Fall of Sacred Scripture, How the Bible Became a Secular Book by Dr. Scott Hahn and Ben Weicker, available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. Back to the phones we go. Jody's up next in the great state of Connecticut, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jody, you're on with Father Wade. Yeah, hi, Father Wade. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I um, I actually just called uh, for two things uh, to ask. Uh, one of them might seem a little out there, but I read in the diary of St. Faustina, I believe, that uh, war is always punishment for sin. And I just wanted your uh, thought on that. And then secondly, um, in light of, um, you know, what things that are going on in the world, kind of in general, maybe even, um, you know, with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, not, not looking for any kind of political uh, answer or anything, but as Catholics, how do we respond to this? Yes, I know we should be praying the rosary every day and that kind of thing, but it seems like there's just so much fear, so much spread. It's you, you get so pulled in so many directions, and I just wanted to kind of hear how to pray through this kind of stuff, and and that's my question. Well, you know, when John Paul II promoted the Luminous Mysteries in October of 2002, in that document he reiterated the importance of praying the daily rosary for world peace. Uh, in that document, uh, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, again October 2002, uh, the other thing he did within that document is proclaim that following year, October 02 through October 03, the year of the rosary. Uh, the rosary is the weapon. So, so I'm glad to hear you say, you know, in addition to praying the rosary, because that's, that's it's an important prayer for world peace. Uh, we bring war upon ourselves. Uh, it's not part of the ordaining will of God. Uh, it's, it's part of his permissive will. Uh, 
because he lets things work according to their natures. And we're human beings who are fallen in a fallen state. So there's going to be fighting and infighting. There'll be civil war. There'll be international war. There'll be wars between factions, wars between uh, countries. Our Lord tells us in the Gospels, there will be wars and rumors of wars till the very day of the second coming of Christ. So we live in a wounded, broken world, right? So the, the fact is, we need to pray for world peace. That's, that's the main thing. It should be a staple, staple prayer. You know, when John Paul II um, uh, spoke as Cardinal Carroway Tewa in 1976 at the closing uh, Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia, now keep in mind, um, this, is, uh, this is two years before he was elected Pope, right? Two years before he was elected Pope, he gave the closing... Uh, remarks at the Philadelphia Eucharistic Congress for here in the United States is Cardinal Carol Wojtyla. And uh, these are some of the words he said, and I think it's very, very telling. Uh, give me just a moment here to pull it up, because this is very, very important, and I want to share it. Hopefully I can find it. He said the, these words. He says, uh, again, 1976, as Cardinal Wojtyla, he gave his farewell address to the Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia and said these words, both startling and prophetic, quote, now keep in mind, he's speaking to Americans in America, two years before he's elected John Paul II, quote, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the anti-Christ. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is therefore in God's plan, and it must be a trial which the church must take up and face courageously. We must prepare ourselves to suffer great trials before long, such as will demand of us a disposition to give up even life and a total dedication to Christ and for Christ. With your and my prayers, it is possible to mitigate the coming tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it, because only thus can the church be effectually renewed. How many times has the renewal of the church sprung from the shedding of blood? This time, too, it will not be otherwise. We must be strong and prepared and trust in Christ and in his Holy Mother and be very, very assiduous in praying the Holy Rosary. So there you have it. Uh, very startling and prophetic words, I believe, uh, from now St. John Paul II, two years before he was elected Pope, which happened in 78, he's speaking in 1976 at the closing of the Eucharistic Congress at, uh, in his farewell address. So, uh, Jody, you know, we need to pray for world peace. Uh, uh, our Lord telling St. Faustina that it's a result of war, I think we need to make a distinction that it's permitted from God's divine will as a, re as, excuse me, as a result of sin. Uh, because again, we're in a broken, wounded world where before the fall of our first parents, we had a strengthened will and an enlightened intellect. But after the fall of our first parents, we now have a weakened will and a darkened intellect. Uh, and pride is the first of the capital sins always listed. It's, 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 it's the one with the most hubris. Hubris is defined as um, that pride that even seeks to usurp the power of God. 
right? Hubris is that which seeks the, that power which seeks to even usurp the power of God himself. And so pride is seen as the capital of the capital sins. And I think we see this uh, in regards to war, rumors of wars, and uh, winds of war prior to them actually beginning. And I think we're seeing that now. So we, we have a duty to pray. You know, it's, it's no secret, too, for those who are familiar with the diary of St. Faustina, this is quite shocking to a lot of people when they first discover it. The very, very first time our Lord appears to St. Faustina, and she records it in her diary, is on this feast day of the chair of St. Peter. I think that says a lot about the authority for God of the church as the bride of Christ, which he founded, and which we know by her four marks, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. I think that says a lot that our Lord, in his divine providence, chose the chair of St. Peter as his first apparition uh, to St. Faustina, which she records in her diary. And remember, he tells Faustina very clearly, um, I have given you this devotion to prepare the world for my second coming. Now, am I saying that the second coming is going to happen next month? No, I have no idea when the second coming is going to happen. Even our Lord doesn't know. He just knows that he's preparing the world for it. It could be 3,000 more years from now. It could be 1,000 years from now. Who knows? It could be 10,000 years from now. But the fact is, it's a devotion that's meant to prepare us for Christ's second coming. It's prayed on a regular rosary. Um, Divine Mercy Sunday is the second Sunday of Easter, the Sunday after Easter. It closes the octave celebration of Easter. Uh, an octave celebration is an eight-day period of, of celebrating, so Easter Sunday, and then to the following Sunday, called the second Sunday of Easter, it's, it's also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, a, it closes the octave celebration of Easter. Th- these are very, very important things uh, about the Divine Mercy devotion, and we do well to familiarize ourselves with praying the Divine Mercy chaplet, reading the diary, and being familiar with the message of mercy. You know, I told the people in MEMS last night here at the parish mission, you want to get to know the mind of Christ and how Christ thought? Read St. Faustina's diary, because all the wordings of his that she records, and this is an approved devotion of the church, still private revelation, no doubt, not required for salvation, no doubt, but we'd be silly not to follow an approved apparition that deals so much with the nature of God and how he thinks as the God-man Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity incarnate. So uh, I like to tell people, you want to get to know the mind of Christ? Read St. Faustina's diary. You will get to know the mind of Christ. All, uh, and also, uh, Jody, at fathersofmercy.com, uh, if on the search bar at the homepage you type in the words 14 promises, right away the 14 promises of our Lord to St. Faustina in a, vlo- in a blog that I did, uh, the 14 promises of our Lord to St. Faustina for those who pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet faithfully and regularly, uh, the 14 promises... Most of the 14 have to do with the moment of death. Uh, also included, uh, if you research on the search bar, uh, uh, end times, end times. Uh, a PDF document will come up with the second blog that I did on the Divine Mercy Diary and Devotion. It's the eight times that our Lord mentions his second coming to St. Faustina, which she records, and the first time that our Blessed Mother, the only time, excuse me, that our Blessed Mother mentions the second coming of her son to Faustina. So there's nine total times that the general judgment, the second coming of Christ, is mentioned in the diary. The, the, the eight of them have to do 
with our Lord himself who gave them to Faustina. And the ninth one is the one time that Our Lady, our Blessed Mother herself mentions to Faustina her son's second coming. So again, fathersofmercy.com, click on the magnifying glass icon, a search bar comes up. On the search bar for the first one, just type in 14 promises, 14 promises. On the, for the second one, simply put in end times, end times, and that document will come up. Uh, so yes, I agree, Jody. A great, great uh, discernment on your part, the importance of the divine mercy. Uh, uh, war is a result of sin, as our Lord tells Faustina. Uh, get to know the mind of Christ and make yourself even stronger as a committed Catholic Christian. Uh, great insight from you, Jody. Thank you so much for your call from uh, Connecticut. Next up is Paul in Crestview, Florida, listening on the EWTN app. Paul, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Father. Uh, I just had a question. Um, I was going to ask your advice about uh, how to try to dissuade my brother. Uh, he recently texted me that he, he, he wants to pay $2,300 to have a three-foot statue of the Emperor Nero made, and uh, he's going to put it in his house. And I just kind of, you know, I, I felt offended by it because I know... You know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Emperor Nero put a lot of Catholics to death um, in his time and did a lot of other evil things. So I really cherish the relationship with my brother, and I don't want to—I don't want to lose that. But I, I do kind of feel that I should try and dissuade him from it. But I, I don't exactly know the best way to go about it. And so I just, that was pretty much my question. If you had any advice on, yeah, Paul. Yeah, great question, Paul. If if you were to ask your brother very simply, brother, why? Why? Quote, end quote. Why do you want a statue of Nero in your home? What would your brother say in response, do you believe? I, I think he'd say because uh, he uh, admires you know, that he was the most powerful man in the world at, at one time, and uh, I think, uh, and he went on a trip to Rome four years ago, and I guess that kind of, the Colossus statue that used to be next to the Colosseum, that really impressed him, and the movie okay. Gladiator, and things like that. Uh, I, I would hope that would be his response. Yeah, it's a witness moment, you know, on your part. Uh, you know, you're calling Open Line, a Catholic radio program. I, I presume you practice the faith pretty strongly. You sound like an, an intelligent man. You want to witness to your brother, no doubt, about about that. Now, now Nero has every right to be prayed for, for his soul, uh, like anybody else. Uh, so I don't want to take away from that reality. We pray for sinners. We pray for persecutors. We pray for those who put many people to death themselves. Uh, no doubt, I don't want to take away from that. But I would recommend that you approach your brother, and you know his house, you, you've been there, um, I presume, uh, you know what other things he has and what he doesn't have. Uh, say, brother, with all due respect, and getting a instead of getting a statue of Nero, why don't you have the Sacred Heart enthronement done for your home? And get a statue of the Sacred Heart. Brother, do you know how crazy things are right now in the world? And you want to get a statue of Nero? Brother, with all due respect, and I say this out of great love, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a time to witness, and it's, it's a time to witness with faith and reason. Fetus et ratio. 
you know? And sometimes with loved ones, we got to go out on a limb. We might have to say something that we don't particularly feel comfortable saying. But remember, Paul, if you're not consciously aware of any mortal sin on your soul, you have the moral certitude you're in a state of sanctifying grace. What does that mean? That means you have the seven gifts and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit working in you, right? All 19 of those working in you. Now, they may be infantile, like one of, like one of them is, is fortitude, courage. You may not feel fortuitous or courageous towards giving your brother such a fraternal correction, as you phrased it, and, and it, it would be that. It would be a fraternal correction. But remember, if you're not aware of any mortal sin in your soul, you have sanctifying grace from Almighty God operative in you by His gratuitous gift— Meaning, therefore, you have the seven gifts and twelve fruits, one of which is fortitude or courage. It might be infantile in you and not work much, but every time you work fortitude, every time you work courage, it grows like a muscle. Every time you work a muscle, it grows, okay? Same thing with the nine gifts and the twelve fruits. Every time you do something in a, in a concrete action, like giving a fraternal correction with great love, that strengthens that particular gift or... or um, uh, of, of the seven gifts or the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit that, that promotes that particular gift or fruit, you're helping that gift or fruit to grow in your life. So it's there. It's there. It just needs to be worked like you would want to work a muscle with a barbell or something, a dumbbell. So, so it's there. So this is an opportunity for you to witness. This is an opportunity for you to go to your brother with great love and great charity and let him talk. Ask him, get, a, get three or four questions that are very pinpointed with great love, why do you want this? Do you understand the history of him? Uh, as a Catholic who may not even practice your faith, brother, have you thought about maybe the Sacred Heart enthronement in a day and age when there's so much chaos in the world? I mean, Europe's on the brink of war right now. Uh, what can we do, brother, ourselves in our own sphere of influence to help promote sanctity and holiness to people? Uh, that, that's the approach I would take in giving witness to your brother, and all that said, Paul, you know how to do it best because you know his temperament, you know his personality, you know what you've seen in, in his house already, uh, and I would, I would approach it from that angle. But give him the floor, let him talk. Remember, our Lord wants to meet people where they're at. So when you act in our Lord's stead to, to literally meet with somebody, first of all, make sure you have the moral certitude that you're in a state of grace you know, make sure that's the case first. You have the moral certitude you're in a state of grace, you're, which simply means you're not aware of any mortal sin, because that will be the optimum way that you can have the best and biggest influence on your brother, because God's using you. You've asked God to use you like you've never been used before to help witness to your brother. That's number one. Try to receive the Eucharist that morning before you speak to your brother. And then when you speak to your brother, do it with great love, patience, let him have the floor, let him discuss things, but, but have some questions that you want to definitely ask him that you're, you want him to answer. And then from the answers that he gives you, try to leave him, lead him aright. Try to lead him aright uh, to, to make the right decision here, okay? We want holiness in our homes. We don't want depictions of evil or what was evil in the world depicted in our homes. Uh, there's better ways to show power, like Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, through a statue of the Sacred Heart. That if he's if he wants power, if he's impressed with power, then have him do the Sacred Heart enthronement. He can't have he can't have any more power than that. What's the thirty fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time? The Universal Solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, King of the Universe. So there you have it. Witness that point to him, 
and and uh, and hopefully you'll have you'll have God's providence uh, really manifesting itself in the time you take with your brother out of great love. So uh, I'm going to keep this in prayer tonight when I pray my vespers and my compline that you can really be a um, uh, a vehicle of God's grace to your brother in witnessing to him about the truth with a capital T. So, uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much for your call from Florida today. We really appreciate it. You know, if you check out the Fathers of Mercy website at fathersofmercy.com, you can find a document, the 14 spiritual exercises that will help you advance in the spiritual life. And one of those is a daily Divine Mercy Chaplet, and we can help you with that as we air the Divine Mercy Chaplet Monday through Friday mornings at 5 a.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Justin in Boise, Idaho, a first-time caller listening on Salt and Light Radio. Justin, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Um, hey, how you doing, Justin? Thanks for your call. I'm feeling good. Um, I had a question in regards to what the Catholic stance is on why and when it would be okay to be divorced, but primarily on remarriage, because I have not been pleased with the stance that most Christian-claiming denominations have chosen to take on, well, it's okay to get remarried after divorce. I don't see really anything scripturally for that. And also, what exactly the Catholic stance is on divorce in general, but primarily on remarriage. Okay, great. Are, are you a Catholic yourself, Justin? I am not a Catholic myself. Okay, okay. So I, I want to refer you, and you can find it online, as you probably don't own a copy yourself, I, I want to refer you to Numbers 2382 to 2385 of the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2382 through 2385, where it talks about divorce per se. Uh, it's under a parent heading of Offenses Against the Dignity of Marriage. Offenses Against the Dignity of Marriage, which, remember, mirrors the covenant relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the Church, which he founded, and which we know by her four marks, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So, just, just a few paragraphs. 2382. The Lord Jesus insisted on the original intention of the Creator who willed that marriage be indissoluble. He abrogates the accommodations that had slipped into the old law. Between the baptized, a ratified and consummated marriage cannot be dissolved by any human power or for any reason other than death. So if there's an annulment granted, it's because it was proven, Justin, that the marriage was never sacramental to begin with, okay? Uh, The separation of spouses while maintaining the marriage bond can be legitimate in certain cases provided for by canon law, and canon law goes more into that. So the first option should be to separate, to try to work on the marriage, okay, rather than straightaway go to divorce. If civil divorce remains the only possible way of ensuring certain legal rights, the care of the children or the protection of the inheritance, it can be tolerated and does not constitute a moral offense. However, divorce per se is a grave offense against the natural law. It claims to break the contract to which the spouses freely consented to live with each other till death do them part. Divorce does injury to the covenant of salvation, of which sacramental marriage is the sign, contradicting a new union, even if it is recognized by civil law and not recognized by the church. This adds to the gravity of the rupture, in fact. 
the remarried spouse is then in a situation of public and permanent adultery. Now, when one gets a divorce, if they believe that their marriage was never sacramental to begin with, uh, they have every right to pursue uh, uh, an annulment through the marriage tribunal of the diocese in which they live. They have every right to do that, okay? But the annulment may not be granted. It may not be judged in their favor, okay? It, it, it could be that the marriage tribunal, uh, experts on marriage, both lay and cleric, discern that the marriage was indeed sacramental, that there was not enough to find in the cases, and both the one seeking the divorce and the one not seeking the divorce, or if both are seeking the divorce, uh, both parties have a right to give their statements and to seek witnesses, their own per, uh, personal witnesses, okay? Um, I think it's important, too, to, to say this about divorce. Canonically, the petitioner of the divorce should have reception of Holy Communion deferred to them until he or she repents publicly for having abandoned the innocent spouse. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is clear that divorce is a grave offense and a grave sin against nature, and one can be an innocent spouse who has had the divorce foisted upon them, and that cannot be lost sight of. So as stated in 2286 of the Catechism, quote, it can happen that one of the spouses is the innocent victim of a divorce decreed by civil law. This spouse, therefore, has not contravened the moral law at all. There is a considerable difference between a spouse who has sincerely tried to be faithful to the sacrament of marriage and is unjustly abandoned by the other spouse, and one who through his own grave fault destroys a canonically valid marriage. That's very important. So you can see that the Church esteems, and lastly I want to say this, uh, 2285, and again, Justin, the, the, the total paragraphs are number 20, 2382 through 2385. 2385 says this, Divorce is immoral also because it introduces disorder into the family and into society. This disorder brings grave harm to the deserted spouse, to children traumatized by the separation of their parents, and often torn between them. And because of its contagious effect, which makes it truly a plague on society. Does that help you out, Justin, to see where the Catholic Church stands on esteeming marriage as a sacrament, and how although one has a right to, to seek to prove that the marriage was never sacramental to begin with, um, that the, the first option should be to seek separation. So thank you for a, a great uh, question on that, and I, I urge you as a non-Catholic to look at that section of the Universal Catechism. By the way, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of, Al of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jack, uh, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow. Father Mitch is in the house. Until then, God bless.